재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 What time is it? Do you know what time it is? Prime time. It's prime time. Unfortunately, this is an issue that many of you are well aware by now with all the stories that have been making the news. The issue of child abuse and also the issue of whether South Korea as a whole is doing an adequate job protecting our children. Uh, We've seen stories of horrific crimes, uh, one of the more high-profile ones, a 13-year-old girl's corpse uh, discovered after uh, being beaten to death by her parents almost a year ago. There have been horrific stories before that incident, and subsequently there have been other stories of children uh, getting murdered by their parents. So what can be a solution to this. Uh, Some people say that, well, uh, we need to be more vigilant in terms of missing children and uh, following up on kids who have not been going to school. Other people say that this is a deeply rooted societal problem. Maybe there are some cultural issues at play here. Well, we're going to try to discuss some of those issues and potential solutions uh, during this panel discussion. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a cacao talk message. We'll be joined by a legal expert from overseas, but right now here in the studio, our good friend from Hanguk University University of Foreign Studies law professor Huang jong Professor Huang, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Henry. Uh, it is not necessarily a, a pleasant topic to talk about right now, but if you talk about child abuse, it is certainly something that most level-headed people can condemn. And we're talking about just run-of-the-mill child abuse, beating your child excessively or mental or physical uh, types of abuses. But we're talking about horrific murders and crimes here. And maybe it is a bit too uh, knee-jerk reaction to pin the blame on Korea's infrastructure and protection systems, but do you believe this particular incident, the one with the pastor and the 13-year-old girl, and all of these other stories that have been making the news, does it reveal somewhat of a blind spot in Korea's child protection system? Well, in a narrow sense, I suppose, yes. I mean, because a lot of schools, there's a, a fairly large number of students who have been absent from school for a long time. The education ministry had a statistics, but there was sort of lack of follow-up about exactly why these students were not you know, going to school, and you know, some of those cases actually turned out to be the cases of abuse. Not all of them, actually. You know, in some cases, just children just ran away from home right. for one reason or the other. So, having said that, maybe there could have been a, been a better coordination between child protection agencies and the school and the education authorities. On the other hand, if you just sort of kind of think about it, I mean, you know, sometimes parents who are abusing their children are also actively try to cover it up. So, even if you know somebody does follow up, say an investigator from the child protection agency visits the home, but if the parents are you know just making up elaborate lies and doing a good job, how is it? How easy is it to really detect? I mean. And you know, on one hand, you have to think about welfare and protection of those children. On the other hand, you have to think about, you know, to what extent can governments really monitor mm. what parents do in their homes if they're really intent on covering it up. So I think 
You know, in some, there are definitely things the government can do better, such as what the Korean government is now doing a little better, actually, you know, better coordination between schools and protection agencies. On the other hand, there will definitely be limits to what the government can do. Right, but it's not to poo-poo the situation saying, oh, there's... Um, it's a situation that is inevitable. We're going to have to just deal with it. There are obviously some things in play here in Korea that are leading to these kind of crimes that perhaps we've just scratched the surface. But obviously, uh, whether it's through a governmental effort or societal effort or just some kind of awareness campaign, there needs to be something done to try to reduce the number of children getting murdered by their parents, right? I'm sure. Uh, I mean, the government initiative-wise, yeah, maybe there might be a better organization, better funding for the child protection agencies. But once you think in terms of a societal changes, well, you know, I mean, if you live in cities, it is quite often that, you know, people just don't know what's going on in other people's homes. You know, we live in a fairly individualistic, atomistic uh, atmospheres, and to just say that, hey, that's just a terrible the way to society goes, it's one thing to lament that, but, you know, to think about changing that, uh, the overall outlook of the society, I mean, I, I'm not even sure, I can't even imagine how you go, go about yeah. bringing about such so social changes. It's very difficult indeed. Uh, there, there is this interesting religious element to this, and uh, I, I'm, I'm sure this is not a job you would accept by any means, but if you were uh, representing this pastor right now who's being accused of murdering his daughter, uh, he's claimed that uh, he prayed for uh, the daughter to somehow be miraculously uh, resurrected. Um, does he have any chance of mounting a credible defense on religious grounds? Well, it doesn't sound like he's making those claims in order to justify his beating up the daughters, uh, the, the daughter, the dad, uh, unfortunately, the dad, the daughter. Um, it seems like the comments were made, the statement was made to the police, and police has made it about comment public to, you know, kind of as an excuse for why he was hiding the body for a year. And based on that, you might actually, you know, think about whether that this, you know, parent who happened to be a pastor was of a right mind. You might question his mental state, but at least it doesn't seem like he was using a religious ground okay. to justify why was he, he was beating up his own daughter. So if he was completely Machiavellian, he may be saying this to kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, try to show that he's kind of crazy and perhaps that could be mounted as somewhat of a, a legal defense then here? Maybe. I mean, you know, you can, uh, we can speculate that this could be, you know, elaborate strategy to, uh, to, you know, paint himself as a religious, you know, mentally unstable religious zealot and maybe, you know, he's uh, calculating it as a, you know, possible mental defense. On the other hand, he could just be saying it, just, you know, making up some excuses why he was hiding the body for a year, making up this really hard to believe story about, you know, hoping for his daughter's resurrection. The previous, uh, case that was quite high profile in the media of this young son who was beaten by his father uh, over something regarding a bath time incident, that body being hidden in a freezer. Uh, it seemed uh, subsequently psychological experts had said that there was really nothing in terms of um, insanity that was a, a cause of this situation. How difficult is it, whether it's a pastor who you can say is a religious zealot or, or a father who does something so horrific that you can't imagine a sane person doing, how do you determine whether that could be admissible as far as plea of insanity? Well, obviously, you know, the, the determination will not be made by the law. Uh, 
the, the lawyers who would have to be evaluation made by expert psychologists or psychiatrists, runs, run tests, and you know, and the, and then the court will like actually have to evaluate where, where, whether the 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 you know the evidence from psychiatrists or psychologists is reliable. Um, I mean. You know, just this mental health area is not really an exact science at this point. We don't have tools to exactly scan someone's brain and say exactly, you know, there is, you know, some kind of, you know, pathogen within the brain that's causing, you know, mental uh, disorder. So, you know, the law basically has to do, do its best with imperfect information. And if, you know, some people happen to abuse uh, the, the, the imperfectness of the way the law operates, you know, it is too bad, but it is also hard to think about ways to improve it at this point. And finally, briefly, uh, I think most people would agree with this. Authorities are recommending murder charges instead of manslaughter. Uh, what are some of the factors that led to that decision? Well, it seems like based on the physical evidence left on the body, uh, it seems that you know uh, it looks like the, the beating took, uh, took place for in the period of about seven hours seems to have been very severe. And basically, that, uh, after the police investigation, police has recommended a murder charge to prosecutors based on the fact that you know the parents are clearly reckless and they could have clearly foreseen that you know the child's life was in in danger. I mean, on the other hand, I find it little. Difficult to believe that you know the, uh, the parents are really beating up on the child with a specific intent to will kill, with a you know with a fully aware of the danger, the physical kind of the physical danger that the child was in. I mean, I am uh, on one one hand, I am you know horrified that this tragedy that tragedy has happened, but on the other hand, I'm somewhat you know uh, uh, concerned that maybe this murder charge is sort of you know one way to p p paint the picture. Right. The authorities doing something okay. in in in, uh, in response to the public outcry. We're going to have much more on this in part two of this discussion. Stay tuned.